Well, we're going to have our Bible reading just now, and it's from Matthew chapter 20. If you want to look that up, it's on page 987 of the Pew Bibles, 987 of the Pew Bibles. It's Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, first 16 verses. We're thinking today about coveting, not coveting, the 10th commandment. John's going to take us through that in a moment or two. So Matthew chapter 20, page 987 of the Pew Bible, reading from verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So the workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, They began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do with what, what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from his word. Well, this morning sees us come to the end of the Ten Commandments. And uh, let us read this morning uh, again from Exodus chapter 20. Just as we finish our, our series, Exodus chapter 20. As we reach the tenth and final commandment, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, you shall not covet is our command for this morning. So Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, let us read God's word together. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his Uh, manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. And they stayed at a distance. And they said to Moses, speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. 
and the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Amen. And we thank God for his word. So, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 uh, uh, through, and then Matthew chapter 20 that Nigel read a little bit earlier for us, helps us to paint this picture of you shall not covet. And how do we want to frame this this morning? Well, it's under this title, God's provision should lead us into a life of praise. God's provision leads us into a life of praise. So our aim here this morning is this, that we would love God because we see that He provides for us, and then that will lead us to praise. So see that God loves us, that He is a God who provides for us, and then our response should be that that will lead us in praise. So coveting or a desire for more or a degree of entitlement comes from a very, very young age. How do we know this? Well, we've all been in this situation. Imagine that there's two children along with you, and you bring them along to the, the shop, and you happen to buy two uh, mix-up bags. Now, if it's a 10p mix-up or a 50p mix-up or a pound mix-up, I don't know what, I don't even know if you can get a 10p mix-up anymore, but imagine two mix-up bags, and in one bag, there's two strawberries. Do you know the strawberries that you get? And in the other bag, there's two flan saucers. I don't know if anybody likes flan saucers. I think they're a waste of space in a mix-up bag, right? What will the kid say that gets the two strawberries? Great. What will the other kid say? I deserve two strawberries. Where's my two strawberries? Then, again, take them two children, and later on in the day, you serve them dinner, or perhaps you get a Chinese takeaway, and you're splitting it up. Do you know that awkward thing whenever it comes to splitting a Chinese or a takeaway between people? And you're trying really carefully to split it up between the two children. Well, one child gets more chips than the other on his plate, and they say to the other, hey, that's not fair. I want that plate. That's, that should be my plate. I deserve to have more chips than you. Or, whenever it comes to a little bit later on, and you're pouring out two glasses of juice, and one happens to be a smidgen more than the other, what will the child say? Well, it'll probably swoop for it first with its hand, and then it'll say, I want that one. I deserve that one. It's not fair. I want that one. And you see, at a very young age, we start to want things. We want more, more chips, two strawberries instead of flying saucers. We want more juice, even if it's just a smidge. And that carries through as we grow up, and it becomes difficult and more increasingly difficult for us to, to laugh at things like that. So we have this contentment versus craving, and contentment is a hard thing to find. But yet, Scriptures teach us that whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it as well with my soul. Or in Psalm 16, verses 5 to 6, the Lord is my chosen portion, and my cup you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places." Yet, as a people, as a church, as believers, often we do not live in this contentment. We do not live in a posture of thankfulness. Instead, we live in the culture of craving. So, these statements, I imagine, will sound familiar for us as we run through them. They sure have a lot of nice stuff. I'm tired of living here, it's a mess. They must be doing something dodgy to have that business grow. Wow, his wife is beautiful. Why couldn't my wife age like that? Not a direct quote from anyone. Okay. 
Sure, they didn't earn it. They got it left to them. I wish I'd married someone like her. I'd be so much happier if I had a wife like his. Look at her husband. He's always so friendly. He's amazing with children. He fixes everything in the house. Meanwhile, I'm stuck with some sort of ogre who just racks everything and is too lazy to do anything. Their car is so much nicer, but it must be on hire purchase. They always have two holidays. They are amazing. Meanwhile, we can hardly get enough money to go to Port Stewart. My job is awful compared to hers. I wish my kids were more like theirs. Why are my parents not like his? Mine are so uncool. I wish I could be as smart as him. My life would be perfect if only I looked like her. My life would be great if, uh, if I was as strong as him. Why can't I have the health that they enjoy? We look, we admire, we want, and we desire. And the 10th commandment is trying to provide an antidote to our heart. Look at, look at all the, 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 the commandments that come before it. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. And then at the tenth, you shall not covet. Why? Because the Lord is trying to speak to our heart before we commit any of these things. Right at the last. And you see, to desire something more than anything else means that actually we're breaking all of the commandments. You aren't loving God completely and above all else. You aren't loving your neighbor above all else. So this commandment addresses the heart and the treasure of the heart, because from our mouth flows the desires of our heart, and our mouths will expose our thoughts. So in saying that we want his girlfriend or wife, her intelligence, their house, what we're really saying is that, God, you haven't blessed me enough. I want more. I want more of what they have in particular and we are not content. I'll be happy. I'll be a better Christian. I'll be a better person, but only whenever I have what they have. So as individuals, we're driven by craving for more. As communities, we crave more. Like a drug addict needs a fix. We need the latest Amazon package to arrive at our door. And as a church, we are often filled and fueled by a desire for things of the world, and not a desire for holiness, or for souls, or for the broken, or for the fatherless, or for the hurting. So have we ever been discontented? Have we ever wished our life was different? Have we ever wished that someone else didn't have something because we don't have it? Have we ever disliked someone because of what they have that we don't? Have we ever been bitter towards God because he chose to give them a blessing and not us? Well, we all at some point have done that. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, 10 through 13, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, Paul learns this contentment. What is he saying in that that little section of text in Philippians is, Christ is enough for me. 
So as we look through this, God provides. Right? God provides for us. He's a God of provision. And for us to understand this, we're going to try and understand something of the Bible in its entirety. So look at Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. How does it start? Verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I am the Lord your God. Before Exodus 20, 17 comes, and, and, and God says not to covet, he says, I am the Lord who has brought you out. I have provided for you. I am the Lord your God, a God of provision. Then turn back a couple of pages to Exodus chapter 16, just so that we can see this for ourselves. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 4 What's the context that the, the Israelites are receiving the Ten Commandments? They're receiving them in the context of daily having their needs met. Exodus 16, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. God provides bread for the people each and every day. Exodus 16. Look at Exodus 17. The Israelites are in the middle of the wilderness. There's no water for them. What does God do? He provides for them. He provides for them water again. And how does he do it this time? Tim Chester explains this beautifully, that God sets up a scene, a judgment scene. And he says to Moses, Moses, take the staff, that judgment staff, and strike me. I will stand before the rock, and then out of the rock will come this great blessing, this water that all the people will drink of. So the Israelites receive this in a, in a, in a context where God is providing for them again and again and again. Exodus chapter, or, or, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, what does God say? Right from the start, he says, I will provide for you. Exodus chapter 3 says, I will provide, in verse 15, a Savior, someone who will come. I will provide for you. Exodus 3 and 21, what does the Lord provide for Adam and Eve? It says this, the Lord made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So what does God do? He provides and promises a Savior. He then provides and promises clothes. He provides and promises bread. He provides and promises water. And all the way through the Old Testament, we could chart this and we could take a long time to chart it. All of the times that God provides for his people again and again and again. And as we come to Christmas, and as we think about coveting, we come to Bethlehem and we see Jesus, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, that God provides again. And then at Golgotha, what does he do? He provides an atonement for our sin. And then in glory, what will he do? He provides a place for us. Our God is one of provision. And this morning, we have to understand that it's in this big biblical sense. Because if we start to say that God's a God of provision, that he blesses me through what I'm able to wear or what I'm able to drive or where I'm able to live, and things go wrong in that, and our vision is no bigger than God providing for us materially, then we'll lose our faith. So this morning, we've got to see the Bible in, in its entirety, that, that God provides Jesus, that God provides constantly for his people. And that means that he provides for us in a way that's far greater than the clothes that we will wear, 
in a way that's far greater than the money that will ever be in our bank account, in a way that will give us contentment in a world that is searching and craving after contentment, that will never find it in the things of the world, but that we have it. That we have it here this morning in this place. And yet sometimes we forget about it, don't we? As we approach Christmas and as we start to buy gifts and think about what turkey we're going to have and all of the rest of it, we forget. We forget that God provides for us. And he's provided for us here today. Physically, yes, we are so rich. We have so much. But so much more than that. He has provided for us beyond belief through his son, the Lord Jesus. You see, this word, word covet, desire, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, it's exactly the same word that is used to describe Eve's desire in the garden. Eve desires the food of that tree. And it's exactly the same translation in Exodus here. And Eve had so much. She had every tree of the garden. And the one that she wasn't allowed, that is the one that she had the desire for. So God provides for us. But what does our desire say about us? Are we craving other things? And here's the the key to this all. I think this morning we are far too easily pleased with the pleasures of the world. I want us to raise our expectations, raise our bar this morning, that we will not be happy or contented in the things of this world, but actually we'll have a a higher desire, a desire for more, a desire to love God more than anything else, that we won't look at our neighbor and covet their house, that we won't look at their wife or their servant or their workforce or their car or their donkey or their land or their farm or whatever it is, but instead that we this morning will say Look at Jesus. Look at each of us here. Each of us here have different bank accounts. Each of us are wearing different clothes. We have different homes. We have different values of of earthly monetary value. But that each of us here in this place will say, it doesn't matter that Mr. Such and Such has such and such in their bank account or Mrs. Such and Such drives that car. Why? Because we have Jesus. So as brothers and sisters in this place, we come together and we worship him. Why? Because he provides for us. The the 10th commandment in the Westminster Shorter Catechism Catechism is described like this. It forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor and all the inordinate emotions and affections to anything that is his. So here's the point. Why would we want anything else whenever we can have Jesus. The babe that comes to be born in Bethlehem, the Lamb of God, the one who came to lead his people out of the captivity of sin and into the freedom of eternal life, the one who bravely bravely lays down his life for us, the one who comes not to condemn but to save, the one who invites sinners to sit and to eat with him and to talk, the one who invites fishermen and tax collectors to be his friends, Jesus, the friend of sinners, the one who pays our ransom, who gives us freedom and life, who redeems us, who buys us back, who releases us, and who forgives us. We can have him 
this morning. What more could we want? The hymn writer puts it like this, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. So have we tasted and seen that he is good this morning? Bigger house, what does that matter? A nicer car, lovely, but what about it? Instead, what should we be saying? People coming to know Jesus? Well, now you're talking. People praising God who were once in darkness? Give me more of that. A little boy or a little girl trusting Jesus here in this church and growing up to know him and love him. A family coming to be baptized. A church full of people praising God. Prayer meetings full of people pleading with God for family members who aren't saved. That's what we should want. That's what our desire should be. Not for the things of this world. They're going to pass away. I had to go to the solicitor a couple of weeks ago and make a will. What did I have to leave people? Very little. A few books. That's about the height of it. But it felt very official, right? What is that? A few books They're going to gather dust. And yet it consumes us. And God here says, don't covet. Instead, be a people who who, who are restless for the good things. Good things that I have given. For seeing people saved. For seeing disciples made. God is a God of provision. He provides for us. He provides his only son for us. He can't give us any more. So what is our response? We should be a people of praise. People who respond in praise for him. We should be continually thankful. Thank on the Lord. That little saying, count our blessings one by one. And we do that whenever we're in Sunday school or in primary school, that little song. And it's true. To see how the Lord has blessed us and he has kept us and provided for us. And then we live in praise. Pete used this illustration a a number of months ago about the lady, the couple who were in the Middle East and they came across to America, into the West, and they said they were going to have to leave again because there was a, a satanic slumber. There was a satanic slumber in in the West and what was going on. And they had to go back. Where does that satanic slumber come from? comes from our contentment to settle for less, to go after the things of this world. And they said they couldn't cope with it. We live an obese, comfortable life. Along with comfort then comes our discontentment. So this morning as we close, if, if our contentment is determined by if only I had blank, if that's what our contentment is based upon, And we got to reassess. Contentment is only found in the it is finished cry of Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. So Christian here this morning, see the provision of God. We've only scratched the surface of it. See the provision of him through his son and rejoice in it. That you have Jesus, that you are part of his bride, that you are clothed in his righteousness, that you will never hunger or thirst again. And friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, are you not sick of the constant competition of our consumer culture? 
Are you not tired of empty promises of contentment from this world? Do you not ask yourself, surely there's more than this? Well, as Christians, we often get this wrong. We don't live in light of it, but we should. That our God provides and that we praise him for who he is. God's provision leads us into a life of praise. And we close with these words. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let us be a people who are content in the provision of God and then let us praise him forevermore. Let us bow for a moment as we respond in our hearts and then we're going to sing God's praise through the words of Rock of Ages. Let us pray. Father, we are sorry for the times that we want and we want and we want. And all the things that we want are things of this world. Father, this morning we ask that you would shift our perspective. And instead of wanting better houses and nicer cars and more money, Father, that we would desire and long for more souls to know you. That our desire would be that disciples would be made in this place. That as brothers and sisters, that we would grow in your likeness. Father, shift us, move us. That we would not covet, but that we would celebrate in our provision that you have given to us through your only Son, the Lord Jesus. Father, we ask for your forgiveness. Father, continue to challenge our hearts. Mold us and shape us to be more like your Son. Shape us into a posture of praise and of thankfulness for what you've done for us. Help us to count our blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.